well, around noon with some lovely white powder all over the car. Yeah, Fred, I'm from the north, you said so. It was actually very stunning this morning. I was driving, I had to go into work for a few hours before we packed up to head down here and I was driving down the road off 495 and it's, it's somewhat of a hill and so I was looking through the trees and every tree, every tree branch was just covered with a dry white powder. It was gorgeous and in the background, in the east, there was that beautiful red sky and I just said, Lord, you're awesome. It's, it's uh, his handiwork, day after day, night after night. Psalm 19, one of my favorite chapters. But it is really good to be here. It's good to uh, be able to spend time with some people that are close to us. Fred and Benita have been very special to us for a long time, and uh, we've done some life together. And that really tends to strengthen those bonds and um, those things last. And so I was looking forward to it for that reason. Uh, I feel connected to you as a church. But more than that, just sitting here listening to you sing, hearing the songs, the words that you uh, have sang tonight so far, I love being a part of the kingdom of God. I love being part of his family, of Jesus' family, that he has brought us together. We have a reason to be joyful tonight. And, uh, and so that excites me. As I was thinking about coming down here and different people asked me, they said, so you're doing meetings somewhere? And I said, yeah. And they said, where is it? And I said, South Boston, Virginia. And it seemed like they would all say, oh, well, that's where that... Uh, Gertrude uh, Miller, they would always say, and, and so I don't know if there's just only one church here or if Gertrude is extremely famous, but uh, everyone seemed to know you, Gert, and uh, said, yep, that's where I'm going. I mean, South Boston, Virginia. So I trust that what I've prepared to share with you um, is really just coming alongside of what you hear every Sunday morning, um, I just encourage you to uh, really appreciate those who faithfully study, prepare to bring the word. It's a lot of time and a lot of effort goes into it, and it is something that's very easy to take for granted. And I could say all that standing here as the visiting speaker, um, but it is a gift that you are given each and every Sunday that someone takes the time to do that and you show up assuming there will be a message and there is. And so I encourage you to encourage them and to um, show your appreciation for that. And so I'm not coming in here to share something new because we look to the word of God to uh, speak to us. The message has been there for a long time, but the Holy Spirit speaks to us, shows us things that we have not seen before in, in that way. So I hope that that happens this week. 
The, uh, the theme word that I would say I've, I've titled for this week, this weekend, is um, captivated. And that word was just on my heart. Um, probably came to me at 3.30 in the morning. That seems to be what happens right now. I'm not particularly excited about being awake at 3.30 in the morning, but um, I'm often awake and good things happen. And so I've titled this Captivated. I want to read a verse, Psalm 1611. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. Like you just stop and think about that. And, and really the, the heart of what I want to share tonight, and I would invite you to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to read a few verses from there here in a little bit. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, uh, verses 28 and 30. But I, I just really, um, I guess what I, what I want to, to really bring across tonight is that there is tremendous beauty and joy in following God's ways. And I don't know, when you think about his commandments, I don't know what you think of. If you think of them as something that hinders you, something that holds you back, that really keeps you from living the way you want to live. But that is the biggest change that has happened in my life personally, is that I begin to see that true joy, true beauty, rests in him. And, and so we have this, um, this verse, this command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. There's no one else on earth that can come up to you and command that. I mean, they can. They can do that if, if they want to. But there is something extremely intense when God says to us as his people, directed through his writers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And I just have to stop and think about that and we often do wonder, what does that mean? What does it look like? And for me personally, there's, I think that there's got to be a sense of moving from just knowledge of knowing about God and who he is to experiencing the fullness of who he is and what he's intended for us to experience. And, and so I believe it really starts out in a lot of ways with knowledge of him and knowledge of ourself. And I just thought of this analogy. I mean, how many of you have heard of Tiger Woods? <clears throat> Most everybody here, like for Cole's sake, I'll just say he, he was a, he's a really good golfer. And he's won a few championships. But just imagine if, uh, I'm imagining that if I got contacted by Tiger Woods' agent and he said, hey, you just were randomly chosen to come play golf with Tiger Woods, and he's going to show you and teach you what he knows. And so I'm like, well, okay, great, cool. And I show up 
and uh, there's Tiger Woods. And he looks at me and he says, now I want you to listen and watch because I am going to teach you how to golf. And I'm going to show you how to golf. I'm going to show you how to swing. I'm going to show you how to be mentally tough and what you have to do to overcome obstacles. And, and I would just say, you know what? <clears throat> I know you've won a few championships, and I know you're a pretty good golfer, but look, I've been mini-golfing for years. And I probably go, you know, once or twice a year. And on top of that, when I was younger, I actually chipped around the yard with Micah Woods, so there's that. That's true, I did. And, uh, and I kind of learned how to chip around. And so, you know what, Mr. Woods? With all due respect, I, I'm pretty good, and I don't really need your help. See, that would be complete ignorance on my part. Like, I'm looking at Tiger Woods, and I'm looking at myself, and I don't see much of a gap. I see us as... I'm trying to make myself very similar to him. I'm trying to um, <clears throat> look at myself on his level. And, and so that, I think, is the root of, of what we need to do as children of God, is understanding who he is and who we are. And there is a, on our own, in our brokenness, a wide gap. And unless we see that, loving the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind will always be something you'll be chasing and never really fully understand and grasp because it's, it's joy found in him. So the title of this sermon is Captivated by the Heart of the Commander. You know, for me personally, I love that title, and I know that as I share this as a visiting speaker, that's kind of for you to say, right? Like, well, that was a great title, but I love the title because when I think about a sermon and I'm trying to boil it down to sort of that one thought that sums it up, uh, it often is in my title. And so to me, that title speaks to being captivated, uh, something holding your interests, something that, that makes you get up from what you're doing and walk over and, and check it out. You know, this morning I, I was just captivated by that incredible sunrise I was seeing in the, in the incredible nature that God had created. Something else that captivates me is if I'm inside a house and one of those fighter jets just comes roaring over, Man, I, I just, I'm sucked out the door. Like, I've got to go outside and see that thing. It just impresses me. And, and so I'm, I'm just kind of captivated by it. And, and so being captivated is to hold the interest of. And so uh, it speaks to that. It speaks to the heart of love. But then there's that word, the commander. And, and we maybe don't like that word. Uh, the commander. And so, God is the commander, and God is the one who said to love him with all your heart and your soul and your mind. But how does he view his commands? 
So he gives, you, he gives us a command, and we have many commands in Scripture. How does he view them? And so let's read Matthew eleven, twenty-eight 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love those verses. I love what it implies. I love the, the word rest. It is not a weight. It is not something that you are looking at and saying, this is holding me back, or this is just getting in my way. This is, um, this is a, a peace deep down inside your heart and in your soul that causes you to be at rest and at peace. And so I wanted to start out by reading those verses, but now I'm asking you to turn to 1 John chapter 5. Uh, 1 John 5, and we'll look at the first five verses in that chapter. And I would just drop this challenge to you. 1 John does not have many chapters. It can be easily read in a morning sit. And I would, I challenged our church, and you know, I didn't check up on to see who did it and who didn't, but many of them said, We've, we've, we did that. We took you up on that challenge, and it was to read the book of 1 John every day for 30 days. And it is an extremely powerful book in speaking to what God really wants from us as his people and the way that we relate to each other. And so I'm going to read these, uh, these first five verses. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So obviously the verse that I'm highlighting there is, in fact, the verse that says, His commandments are not burdensome. And, it, you know, it starts out in verse 1. It says, whoever believes that Jesus is Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him, who is begotten of him. I, could, I can illustrate that by the fact that tonight, when Fred's family walked in here, like, I hugged all of Fred and Benita's children. I think, I, no, I didn't get Chloe. I high-fived Chloe. She was more comfortable with that, I believe. And, uh, but the reality is that those children mean a lot to me and my wife because of our relationship with Fred and Benita. And, and so I think quite simply, that's what this verse is saying. When you believe that Jesus is the Christ 
and, and is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him who is begotten. I use the New King James Version, but the bottom line is, we are not only to love God, we are to love his children. And you can't separate it. You cannot separate it. And I honestly think we've missed it in a lot of ways as a church to understand that, what that really means. But let's think about obedience for a second. I think it needs a little bit of context uh, when we think, what's it mean when it says they are not burdensome? Do we, do we just obey? Is obedience simply an end in and of itself? Like, is that the point? Is the point just simply obedience? And if you think about the progression of learning, you know, there often is a, there is a stage where there is not understanding associated with obedience. You know, you have, Proverbs says, foolishness is in the heart of a child. And, well, that seems a little harsh, but if you stop and think about it, a little child that can crawl would crawl right out in the middle of the highway and sit there. Because they are foolish from the, from the standpoint of understanding and of what could happen. What could be the result here? And so you, as a, as a parent, you teach them that they cannot go out there. And, but in that early stage, they don't know that. And they don't understand that. And they don't even necessarily know why you would react the way that you do. But there is that stage. And then there needs to be a moving to a, a learning through obedience. That eventually, that that's a good thing. Like, how would you feel, Cole, if, if your mom said to you tomorrow, like, Cole, why don't you just go out there and sit in the middle of the road right now? Would that feel like love? No, of course not. It would not because it would indicate that she's actually not loving you, that she would rather you just went away, that something would happen to you. That's not the case. And so there's got to be a moving from knowing and learning through obedience to love. And I'm going to share a quote with you from Hans Denk, who was an Anabaptist from Germany. <clears throat> and he said this, No one can know him unless they follow him. No one can follow him unless they know him. I'm going to read it again. No one can know him unless they follow him. No one can follow him unless they know him. And if you think about that, I think, to me, that quote means that we have to take a step of obedience, simply because God said it. There, there is a sense of trust in that uh, that you have to have to take that step. <coughs> but I believe that in that process of following, of trusting, you will come to appreciate, you will come to understand, you will come to know why he put that in place, why he has asked you to do that. Stop and think about the Ten Commandments. Wouldn't it be amazing right now if the entire world would follow the Ten Commandments? Like, just stop and think about what that world might be like. Like, you could go tomorrow and buy a used car, and they would tell you all about it, 
how great it is, how awesome it runs, how they've never had problems with it, and you could absolutely believe it. There would be no doubt. Because, number one, they're going to tell you the truth. They're going to tell you what it really is. And so, me, when I sell a used car, it's more like the whole list of things that's wrong with it, because I don't want someone buying a car that has a lot of problems that I sold to them. And so, the commandments, you can grow up at a young age and think, man, I would like to have that. You know, I, I, you, you're in school and you look at what somebody else has and you have the opportunity to slip it into your pocket, take it away, and maybe no one would know, right? And, uh, but flip it around. What would you want them to do? You would know that you could just set it there and no one would be concerned about it. They would leave it right where it is. I went to Minister's Week at SMBI, and, be, and the course goes on a trip when we are there, and we stay in their dorms. And I'm in the dorm, and there's a cardboard box sitting there, and it's got this pile of cash on it. And so I picked the cash up, I counted it. Like, I wanted to count it. I wanted to know how much cash was laying there, and it was a lot. And so when we left at the end of the week, I just left a note there with it. And, and I said, isn't it amazing that this, and I listed the amount of cash, I said, isn't it amazing that you had no clue who stayed in this room this week, but the cash that you just left laying right there is all still there. I said, don't miss that. Don't miss the beauty in that, that you can just trust in people when they follow God's ways. And my brother-in-law teaches in, or did teach in a university in, in Canada, and he said, you, you couldn't leave your laptop lay around, you know, at all. It would be gone in no time. People just snatched it up. And so there is tremendous beauty, and we learn that, I think, by, by following, and, and that is the process of which the, the commandments do not become burdensome, but they become something that's like, it feels good to do it. It feels good to do the right thing, because you know it creates a good and stable environment in which God intended for us to live in. And so we must move from obedience to knowing and, and not have these commandments be burdensome. <clears throat> and really, knowing is where it lies. And Jeremiah 9 says this, Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich glory in their riches. Let not the wise glory in their wisdom, but him who glories glory in this, that he knows me and understands me. And while God is hard to understand sometimes, I mean, I'm, I would be lying if I said that I never have ever questioned him or wondered why things happened or people who were in a really bad situation that we were praying for and, and it looked like there was progress, like they were finding hope and then just bam. I'll never forget this preacher who was preaching. He said, you're, you're down in the dumps. You're, you're climbing your way back. You, you're, you're taking steps of faith and, and you're walking through that tunnel, if you will, and you see the light at the end of the tunnel, and you start to run to that light, 
and the light gets brighter and brighter, and it's a train. Sometimes it feels like that. Like I've been in situations in life where it felt like that. And it is in that moment, it is in those times that I have felt God the closest. Even in, in times of, of saying, what are you doing? Your word says you're good, but man, this doesn't feel good at all. And there is a sense of coming to a place of just trust and rest and finding true joy in him. And so I would like to take a, a, a few minutes to look back at what God intended from the start. And so let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Let's just stop and think about creation and what God created in the beginning is perfection. You know, Adam and Eve, they had it good. They had everything they needed for just complete joy and pleasure in, in the garden that God created. And I just see the amazing sunrises and the sunsets and the, moon, the, the starry nights and the, the moonlit nights, uh, the river running through the garden to water it, the mist that rose up from the ground. And, but you know what was best of all in that situation? And it, those, those things I really believe because there's been plenty of people in history who have They've looked at nature and they've separated it from God. And they, and they start to either worship it or even view it as evil. And I just believe that God's creation, all the way down to our taste buds, when we sit down and eat a nice big old T-bone steak, I believe that that is meant to roll our affections up to God. To say, you know what? You just gave me these taste buds to just thoroughly enjoy this. And it's amazing. It's a gift. And uh, the, the sunrises and sunsets that we, we take in that leave us in awe and, and leave us saying, wow. That's God. That's the creator. That's the one who, who decided to make it that way. And it says that he created and on the first day, and on the second day, and the third day, <coughs> after each day, he said what? It is good. On the last day, he said what? It is very good. I believe when God was done, he looked down at what he had made, and he said, that's good. That's very good. And... I'm going to create two individuals in my image and I'm going to place them into that goodness. And he did. Adam and Eve <clears throat> were, were there with, with fellowship, with um, an incredible connection with God. I believe that there was just a regular interaction between them and God. And what I want to focus on 
is what changes when they make some choices here that is destructive, breaks apart what God had created. And, and I will point out, we think of the Garden of Eden and we think of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we, I think in my mind, I've often thought of that tree as being more spectacular than all the other trees. And so I don't know what it looked like, but what the tree of knowledge of good and evil is described as, it says this, it was good for food and pleasant to the eyes. And when God created all the trees in the garden, it said they were good for food and pleasant to the eyes. God had created everything in perfection, and I just believe that the tree of knowledge of good and evil, of which he simply gave a loving command, was it a threat or a command? God said, that tree over there, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, do not eat of it, for in the day that you will eat of it, you will surely die. Was that a, was that a threat or a loving command? I view it, I think I heard somebody say command. I view it as a loving command. When I left home today, I left a loving threat. Um, we had a bag of snacks there that our girls were saying they were going to dive into. We were taking it with us. And uh, I said, in the day of you eat of it, you will surely die. And that was a threat. I mean, it, I was joking, of course. They knew that. <clears throat> but let's look at what happens. Into that perfection, into that goodness, guess who shows up and does what he always does? Takes the beauty of God, twists it, lies about it, destroys it, and turns it into something ugly. Genesis 3, now the serpent was more cunning than any heart, any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the tree of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, just like all the others, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves coverings. First thing happened. Shame. Suddenly they saw they were naked. That's what God knew would happen. That's what God was saying, like, I really believe God was saying this, whatever you do, don't eat of that tree. Because in the day you eat of it, you will die. And it wasn't a threat. It's the same kind of concern that a parent says, don't go out into the middle of the road. Stay off the road. Because 
you don't want to get run over. I don't want you to get run over. I love you. And I really believe that was God's loving command to them. He knew this would happen if they chose to do, take this step. You know, parents go to great lengths to, to teach their kids the right sayings at the right time. And my boss was saying his, he had uh, one of his children was going to cross the street. <coughs> and uh, <clears throat> he said, now when you get to the road, what are you going to do? And they were like, well, stop, drop, and roll. <laughs> they had the right saying, but applying it to the wrong situation. So we have God who is now in verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I believe a sound that they once loved. A sound that meant relationship, a sound that meant warmth, a sound that meant peace, pleasant enjoyment, just a joyful experience. And now here they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? I, I kind of laugh at that verse <laughs> because really to me, that's, that's pretty much like me walking over here and just, you know, saying I'm, I'm hiding and uh, you all can come find me, you know, and you can do the adult to child thing and say, you know, you can walk around saying, where's Ron at? I wonder where he is, where's Ron hiding? God knows right where they are. And he says, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. <clears throat> you know, I, I can understand that, that shame. Um, when, I was, when I was young, I had a Daisy BB gun, Red Rider BB gun, one pump. And it wasn't working. I would sit there, I'd pump it, and I'd pull the trigger, and that BB would fly out maybe four or five feet. And I would cock it, shoot it, fly out four or five feet. And I would smack it around, and I just kept doing that over and over, boop, four or five feet every time. So one time I cocked it, I aimed for the shop window, and boom, and psh, it shattered. And I, I was stunned. I couldn't believe it. I just broke every rule that Dad ever taught me about gun safety. And normal, normally, I had no fear when Dad came home. Normally, I was not at all concerned about when Dad would come home. But you know what? That night, I didn't want to be anywhere around. I didn't want to be anywhere near. And in my mind, the moment he drove in the driveway, like that would be a flashing neon sign saying, over here, look what happened. And you know what? In the end, he, he was going to understand, you know, but that's, that's kind of the, the level of brokenness here, the, the significance of the loss. Uh, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? 
Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Oh, here's a classic. Then the man said, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. That crazy woman. And the Lord God said to the woman, it seems to have worked. Like that little distraction. Uh, And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, and I kind of envision God's gaze just swinging, you know, and, and so maybe at that point, Adam's just like, you know, starting to do the shuffle thing and just, maybe I can just slip away from here, but God who gave the ability to women to be able to be having a conversation here and yet answer their husband's question in a conversation behind them, he also has that ability. And uh, he just, you know, Adam... Come on back, buddy. And so the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, you have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it. All the days of your life. I really believe that the work that Adam and Eve had to do in the garden before this moment, I believe was just a, an enjoyable task. Something they took great pleasure and enjoyment in doing. We all have hobbies, and sometimes those hobbies are work. Like maybe sawing and cutting and nailing, all of that. But I just believe... There was something extremely enjoyable and pleasurable about what they were doing. And now it's cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. And this is just, these verses are just so sad. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. And so he drove out the man, he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. What a story that you have heard many, many times. Over and over you've heard this. And I personally have read that as 
you know, just a, God had a rule, they disobeyed, and he just hammered them for it. And I truly believe that God's commandment was solely rooted in what he knew would have to happen if they made that choice. And there you've got Satan lying like he will lie to you. You know, saying, did God really say that? Hath God said? And, you know, for the first time, Eve started to think about finding joy outside of what was given to her in in Adam. And she started to think about that. Well, maybe, maybe there really is something more to it. Maybe there's more out there that I don't know about. And, there, and there's the lie. Satan will bring to you repeatedly. There is greater happiness for you. There's greater joy for you. If you just do what you want to do, go for it. Just step out and grab it. And we, we all know that's not the answer. But yet, there are times, I think, when we can sit and look at the Christian life and not see the joy in following and and experiencing the joy of and the pleasure of following and what that means. Just simple little things. Like if you've grown up in a home and I don't know all your backgrounds and your stories, but you grow up in a home with loving parents, who provide for you, who teach you, who care about you. That's a gift. It's a gift. Marriages that stay together is a gift. And, and I really believe that God's commandments that he's given to us are to align us with his original intent. I, I really believe that, that his commandments that he gave us are to call us to that and we all know the solution that that we gather here in the name of Jesus Christ that's why we we can do this that's why we take the time to do this um, but at the bottom of it at the root of it i truly believe that god's commandments are there for a good society uh, a good environment that, that people can live in and thrive in and enjoy each other in. And the moment that that happened in the garden, that ended. And I want to, uh, I want to read some scriptures. And there's a bunch of them here. But I'm just going to read these, and they have to do with joy. And, and again, the title of this sermon speaks to that. It speaks to um, the heart of the commander and what he's really after, what he really intends. And believe me, I'm not the prosperity gospel guy. I'm not sitting here trying to say God wants you to be happy in the sense of every need that you have, every, every want that you have, every uh, desire that you have, he wants you to have it. I, I'm not saying that at all. Uh, but he does want you to find that deep-rooted rest and joy 
and peace in him. And so Romans 5.13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. 1 Peter 1.8 Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Romans 14, 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Psalm 16, 8 through 9, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. I love this verse. Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I ate them. <clears throat> That's a legitimate, my homework got eaten kind of thing. Your words were found and I ate them. He's just saying, I, I took them in. I embraced them. I meditate on them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. And then we have John 15, 9 through 11. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. <clears throat> if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. <clears throat> These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. <clears throat> If we were listening to a broadcast, now's the part where you'd hear the scratchy signal and you start picking up something else. And we have Tamilia Venezuela of the Arizona Public School Board speaking about Christian school teachers that they were bringing in from the university. My concern is when I go to Arizona Christian University's website, they are committed to Jesus Christ accomplishing his will and advancements on earth as in heaven. Part of their values is to transform the culture with truth by promoting the biblically informed values that are foundational to Western civilization, including the centrality of family, traditional sexual morality, and lifelong marriage between one man and one woman. If we're bringing in teachers whose mission has been with their institution's education that very plainly on their website that above all else is to influence people to be biblically minded, how does that hold space for people of other faiths? How does that hold space for our members of the LGBT community? How does that space hold space for people who think differently and do not have the same beliefs? What a, what a contrast from these verses on joy, these verses on us as his children finding great delight in him, great pleasure in him, and yet that is viewed as 
something threatening, that is viewed as something that these people want no part of. And we as his children, as his people, are going to be viewed as a threat. We're going to be viewed as somebody that stands in the way of, of what they want to do. And I would just remind us of that chapter in Romans 1 that talks about those who have denied that God exists and they start to worship the creation rather than the creator. There's a big progression. I'm not going to take the time to read it right now, but you ought to read it. And it just goes downhill to the point where it says God gave them over to a debased mind, to the lusts of their flesh, and it led to men having desire for men, women desiring women. Like, so messed up from the Creator's intent. And so, that is the heart of what I wanted to share with you tonight as an opening message. Tomorrow night we'll look at the potential for a divided captivation, which isn't really captivation. But there is a there is a war going on in your life, in your spiritual life. And that satanic influence is is real. It's lying just as much as always and uh, is working against everything that God intended for us to find complete and fulfilled in him. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm excited about what God has given me to share. Um, <clears throat> you can pray for my voice. It's being a little problematic tonight. Um, hoping, hoping that goes away. We've had a lot of stuff going around at home and uh, colds and such like, and I thought I had it and I'm over it, but still remnants of it. I'll just finish by telling a story. I was walking into my spot where I was going to spend the day hunting, and I, uh, if you're not familiar with Hunting, Fred, how many people hunt here? Just you, me and you? That's all right, that's okay. But when you gotta hike in a long ways, you, you, you're up against something. You're, you can either wear all your clothes, which then you'll be sweated wet by the time you get there, or you put them in a backpack, carry them in, and then you've got this giant backpack full of clothes and hardly room for anything else. Well, great engineers have designed clothing to, to be very lightweight and packable and yet very warm, and it's expensive. And Sitka is one of those brands. And so <clears throat> I'm walking in one day, and there on the ground is a Sitka jacket just laying there saying, it's your lucky day, 
I mean, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. And trust me, I, like it ran across my mind, like, well, I mean, I have no idea whose jacket this is. Like, how am I gonna find whose it is? Like, they may be gone already. They, you know, don't wanna let it lay here and let the mice chew on it. But anyway, I had no intention of taking that jacket. It, it was on a, a well-traveled path in through the woods. There were still two trucks out there. I texted one guy that I knew maybe it would be his, and he said, no, it's not mine. And I, uh, I then took it, put a stick in the ground, and I hung it up in the middle of the road. And <clears throat> hours later, I came back out through, and it's still hanging there. And it's like, well, I'd forgotten about it until now. It's still there, just waiting. But I didn't. I, uh, I left it there, but I texted the one guy that I knew was way back in. I said, well, if you come out and the jack is still there and the other trucks out here are gone, let me know. But <clears throat> anyway, he messaged me later and he said that he ended up getting out of the truck at the same time as these other guys did. And they said, hey, were you, were you the one that hung our, the jacket up? said, that was our jacket. And he said, no, but I know who did. And they said, would you please tell him thank you? And you know, we can look at that from one perspective. And I kind of share that story for the youth here. Um, we can look at that from one perspective. And, and man, I would have loved to have that Sitka jacket. It's a couple hundred dollar jacket. Just could have put it right in my backpack. But you know what? Let's flip it around. Let's say you have worked very hard in your life and you have, you have done some side jobs. You have made money to earn money to buy that prize Sitka jacket. And you finally have the money to do it. And you go out and you buy it and you now have a Sitka jacket. And you're very happy with it. But you are walking in one morning and you get to your tree stand, and your Sitka jacket's gone. Now, what would you want someone else to do? Total stranger hangs it up where you can find it. When you come walking out, there's your prized Sitka jacket still hanging there. And you can take it. That hard-earned money is still yours. You still have it. Like, that's what God intended. That's what he intended for us in his commandments. It, it is for our good. And so I just really, the foundation of what I'm sharing is to think about that God's design, God's intent is for our joy found in him. And so his commandments are a means to a very good end for us found in him. And so that literally has been life-changing for me to see that in my life, in my journey, and uh, as, as a pastor. And, and really more as I've been preaching for, I don't know, 10 years, I guess it is. And you just see that theme rise to the top. Of, of scripture, just over and over and over. And, uh, and I just believe that maybe 
possibly we've failed to some degree to, as uh, Dave said tonight, we want to, how did you say that? We, uh, we want to be about what we're for, not what we're against. And so I'm saying that's kind of the heart of what I'm sharing. This is about what we're for. And, and so, I mean, I think people would say I, I preach sermons that speak to hell, speak to Satan and how he works. And I, I do, I do. But by far my focus is on God and who he is and our knowledge of him and our knowledge of ourself. And when we begin to get just a little glimpse of him and, and who we are, and then we hear that commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind, it begins to make a lot more sense uh, when it's seen through a Savior who gave everything for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of life, the gift of being able to be together as your people and the gift of being able to read your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking, for showing, revealing things to us. Lord, help us to uh, see more and more and more of your goodness and who you are, what you've created us to experience. We know we've failed, we've fallen, we have the sin gene passed down to us and, and we have made so many choices that have gone against what you have called us to. And it's a short-lived pleasure. It does not last. Lord, help us to see the truth, the reality of who you are, what you stand for, what you are about, what we have to look forward to, what is in front of us for eternity, just pure joy, pure bliss, being in your presence. We look forward to it. Just be with us as we go through this week. Help us to uh, be an encouragement to each other, to uh, challenge each other, to love each other well. We pray this in your name. Amen.